Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by the mayor of New Bedford, John Mitchell. Mayor, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you as always, Bruce. Let's start with a topic that for years has seemed more theoretical than real, but now seems to be on the verge of becoming very real, offshore wind. Vineyard Wind, the nation's first large-scale offshore wind farm, looks like it is on track with the Biden administration. Now that the industry is starting to take shape, Mayor, can you sort of run us through what does that mean for New Bedford? What do you see happening down there? Yeah, sure, uh, Bruce. And yeah, your opening lines uh, remind me of how many times I've been uh, accused of, of waiting for a Godot uh, <laughs> when I talk about uh, offshore wind, but uh, it is about to be very real. And it's something that we've been working on for many years here in New Bedford, uh, really since I, uh, uh, since I got into office in 2012. Um, you know, we sort of start with a foundational point, which is, you know, in a, in a city that's not part of a major metro, it's really hard to come by private capital these days. And, um, you know, superstar cities like Boston and others have, have pulled in the lion's share of investment in, uh, in America over really the last couple of decades. And we see offshore wind in that context. Offshore wind is a really a generational opportunity for a city like ours to leverage its competitive advantages in a way that brings in investment, creates jobs, and elevates uh, the city's quality of life. And that's why we pursued it so uh, intentionally uh, over many years now. And um, it's it's proceeded in fits and starts. Uh, as you know, I, for up until really a couple of years ago, it was closely associated with one project, the Cape Wind Project. And in some ways, um, in some ways, I think the, the industry was, was looked at somewhat narrowly as, as a result. But, um, but the, you know, the, the track record of the industry in Europe has spoken for itself. It's a, an industry that's been maturing in Europe for some 25, almost 30 years now, and it has been responsible for uh, a, a, an astounding amount of prosperity in uh, older industrial ports like ours uh, that are just like ours, places like Bremerhaven, Germany, Cuxhaven, Germany, Esberg, Denmark, Hull, England. These are all places that had fallen on tough times. Uh, some of them were fishing ports. And uh, the offshore wind industry brought in um, a considerable amount of investment into their ports, into their manufacturing sectors, and into their uh, professional sectors. And, um, and they are very different places as a result. And, you know, in order to get people to, to believe in offshore wind, we did trade missions over to those places so that we could um, help evangelize the industry here. And I think that's played out very well, but the wait, as you noted, has been long. And, um, but here we are with vin on the doorstep of uh, the Vineyard Wind Project, which will be America's first industrial scale project uh, and the first of what appears to be many. Um, we, we think that, you know, we're looking at a three, roughly a $3 billion capital uh, expenditure uh, with this project. So, you know, that means, a considerable amount of local procurement here in New Bedford for starters, uh, from things as simple as hotel rooms and and uh, and and restaurant uh, uh, rest uh, <laughs> restaurant food to uh, to welders to and any number of things. Um, but it also means that you know the more that the industry settles in here, the, the higher the likelihood that there will be uh, 
uh, investment in uh, in operating facilities and and and, uh, and permanent enterprises, and that really is for us uh, the ultimate goal to have you know, an industry cluster here, much like the industry cluster that we have in fishing. You know, for us, it's you know it's not enough just to be one of several uh, ports uh, that the industry calls home along the East Coast. We, our goal is to be the leader, and we think we we say that not just because it's good PR, but because uh, uh, having having being seen as a leader is is a is a an important uh, tactic in attracting uh, investment. We want to we were very well positioned, um, uh, both in terms of our infrastructure and our geographic proximity to the wind areas to, to be a leader, and that's and we are trying to race out ahead of everybody else so that we can establish a, a sustainable cluster here. Mayor, um, you mentioned it's a three billion dollar capital investment. And you mentioned hotel rooms and, and restaurant meals and what have you, but how much of that $3 billion, now Vineyard Wind is calling New Bedford its sort of base port, if I'm understanding it correctly. It's marshalling port, yep. But what does that mean, what does that mean locally? Because the perception is that at least initially, these initial projects, a lot of stuff is gonna be coming over from Europe that is gonna be used to build these projects. How much of that three billion do you think is actually going to be spent in New Bedford, for example, or just in the United States? Yeah, so um, three billion dollars is a big pie, so we don't have to have a sizable slice of it to uh, to really um, benefit um, from the from the project. Most of uh, the, the big components are going to be manufactured overseas. There may be some. Uh, manufacturing of what's called secondary steel here, the, the parts that are attached to the components. But, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, what will happen here will be, uh, that will be significant to the local economy is uh, increased demand for maritime services. I mean, New Bedford, as you know, is the biggest commercial fishing port in the United States. It is, we have a full service harbor here that has all the ancillary businesses that support the fishing industry, right? So the fueling companies, and uh, the clearing houses and the, and the, um, the uh, welding shops and, and really runs the gamut. And a lot of those outfits will uh, and already have um, uh, received business from the offshore wind industry. And once the Vineyard Wind project gets the green light, that's all about to, to ramp up. So we do see um, demand for already established maritime businesses here, but we also foresee you know, the, the demand for folks uh, who operate out on the water. Fishermen these days don't spend their entire, uh, an entire year out on the water, right, as they once did. Historically, fishermen would go out, uh, come back for a couple of days, go out again. Uh, these days, uh, you know, after a considerable level, considerable change in the industry, uh, these days, they, um, yeah, they, they have a, a much more, um, much more time in their year to devote to other things. And so this is, this can help fill that gap, which will be good. Um, we also know that, um, you know, eventually manufacturing will come to the United States. Um, New Bedford probably isn't in the running for too much in the way of large of the manufacturing of major components just because of space constraints here. We're a pretty dense, densely developed place, especially in our waterfront. But we will see um, some light manufacturing here. We will see probably most significantly operations and maintenance uh, facilities here, which are 
uh, unlike the deployment phase of the off, of an offshore wind farm, lasts for the life of the project. So if a company establishes an O&M base here for the life of the project, uh, they will be here for 20 to 25 years, if not uh, more. And, and so that's that we see ourselves as being um, in the pole position to gain that sort of that 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 line of business in the offshore wind industry. So that, that's where that's the way we see it. You know, in our job right now, we, we, we do have an arrangement set up um, with uh, Vineyard Wind, which is essentially a look local first program, a procurement program that's based on a similar program in uh, Grenada, Denmark. And and it's essentially this. It, it, we have a uh, in effect a, a one stop shop in the New Bedford Ocean Cluster where Vineyard Wind will direct its um, its contractors to go for any manner of things, ranging from uh, again the sandwiches from the restaurant to hotel rooms to you know hardware stores to um, marine supply companies to fueling companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you know, it's having that clearinghouse with an emphasis on on local procurement that I think will will help facilitate uh, the um, you know, the demand for for, um, for local services. So one thing I've I'm I'm always puzzled about, but we have so this is all new to the United States, and we have something called the Jones Act, which says now you're going to have to correct me because I probably have this wrong, but um, so if something is being transported from, let's say, well, maybe you know it better than I do. My, my sense is that we don't have enough ships, U.S. flagships that can operate sort of shuttling out to the wind farms and, and transporting what needs to go out there. That, um, is that a problem that the, the federal government's going to have to resolve that we don't have? Because it sort of seems to imply that you're going to have to have ships come over from Europe to do the installation of these turbines. And is that is that holding us back here? I think the short answer, the short answer is no. Um, it may be slowing things up a little bit, but it's not holding back the introduction of manufacturing in the United States. What's really holding up the, man, the introduction of manufacturing in the U.S. is the um, still undeveloped pipeline uh, that would justify um, establishing factories here. We need more of a, a predictable throughput of projects that would justify a, uh, a manufacturer to come over somewhere in the United States to, uh, to set up shop. The other thing that's slowing, I think, the establishment of manufacturing here is just the availability of suitable space. Um, in Northern Europe, there's a considerable amount of publicly owned open land uh, on the water in the United States, uh, the Eastern seaboard is largely privately owned. And so there aren't many places where you can set up, you know, a, say a 200 acre blade factory right on the water as there are in Europe, right? Maybe two or three sites, arguably two or three sites on the East coast, uh, that, that fit that profile. The Jones act, I'll just tell you a little bit about the Jones act. The Jones act, um, provides essentially that, any vessel that is that is transiting between two U.S. ports has to be U.S. flagged, U.S. manufactured, and, and crewed by uh, U.S. citizens. And so, what that means for um, for the industry is that they, they, they can't shuttle back and forth to the Bedford um, and 
and bring components out uh, directly. There has to be uh, on, on, a, on a vessel that doesn't meet those requirements. So, um, and there aren't, there's, there really isn't as we speak, there isn't a Jones Act compliant vessel suitable for this work right now. There's one that is supposedly being manufactured in the Gulf. The, um, so what, what the industry is going to do is to take what in effect is a two-step approach. They will use what are called feeder barges, which are large barges that can carry wind components some distance and then bring those out to jack-up barges, which actually do the work of, of installing the, uh, the windmill, uh, the windmill components themselves, the, the foundation pieces, the transition piece, then they sell them the blades. So, uh, so that's how that, that's, I, I, so is that a, an impediment to development? It is in the sense that it, it's, it's for sure more costly for developers to, uh, to handle um, components and then rehandle them again out at sea. And it's trickier in the North Atlantic than it is in many places they tell us to, to do that. Um, so that all adds cost and, uh, and slows down the, uh, the, um, and that it slows down uh, the, the installation of the wind farms. So uh, that's something that they'll have to get over, but I don't think I, I don't think that's what's holding up the introduction of manufacturing here. Give me a mental picture of it. So New Bedford has this uh, this wind facility on its harbor uh, that the state built a number of years ago. So let's say there's components that are delivered there and they're maybe they're assembled there. I'm I'm making this up, but they're ready to go out to Vineyard Wind. A barge would carry them out part of the way and then transfer them to another barge that would actually install yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, you could have just one take it out and do it. Uh, right. But you have to do it a two-step process. Okay. That that does sound a little bit insane, but I I get I get. Uh, yeah, the Jones the Jones Act is a um, was meant to protect was a protectionist act and. Uh, Back in the early 20s, I think it was enacted in the early 20s, just after World War One, and it was um, meant to protect the uh, U.S. shipping industry, ship manufacturing industry. And those two or three sites that you mentioned along the eastern seaboard for manufacturing facilities, if because there's a lot of pent up demand here where projects are eager to get going, um, are, are any of them in Massachusetts? Uh, so the the most suitable sites. For manufacturing in Massachusetts are along the Taunton River in Somerset and Fall River. Uh, the one that stands out the most is the former, former Brayton Point um, plant uh, plant site, power plant site, uh, which was demolished. Uh, I think it's still being demolished. The de demolition started uh, about two years ago. And that's, um, as, as you know, roughly a 250-acre site. That with considerable water depth uh, at the, the key side, and that would that would be a good manufacturing site. I think there's a consensus uh, that 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 site would would work pretty well. So uh, I've read stories about other states, New Jersey, New York, uh, what have you, that are uh, sort of making big plays to get manufacturing facilities for the foundations or or what have you. What's your assessment of Massachusetts? Are we in the running? Are we making a strong case for Massachusetts? What, what should we be doing? Well, it depends on it depends on who the we is. So I can I can assure you that uh, that the city of New Bedford and the port of New Bedford are doing everything we can to race ahead of everyone else. 
Um, and, you know, in the time that we've been waiting for Vineyard Wind, we've been adding infrastructure. So we've, we are either building now or have completed three more sites, none of them as large as the New Bedford Marine Commerce Terminal, but there are sites that are, uh, that are going to be used um, or could be used for offshore wind. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces in our harbor over the next several years, but uh, we're, we're modernizing the port of New Bedford. And so we're going to be more ready uh, to take on um, more industry business uh, than even where we were a couple of years ago. Um, but we are concerned and we think that we're, we think that we're going to be able to fully modernize the port, um, you know, especially now with the potential for uh, a great deal more federal investment into ports, especially those that support green industries like offshore wind. Um, my concern over time has been that Massachusetts has stood out among the eastern seaboard states that would like that are procuring offshore wind contracts as um, in its refusal to um, aggressively incentivize uh, industry investment here. Uh, the reality is that the likes of New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, really every state down the Eastern seaboard has made it a point to, um, to say, look, you know, if you're going to do business with us, we want to make sure that you invest in our state and, um, Massachusetts has not taken that tact, and that's and frankly, I think it hurts New Bedford more than any other place in Massachusetts. Um, to give you an example, uh, so um, you know, we've seen commitments for foundation manufacturing in New Jersey. We've seen commitments from developers to do uh, to build port facilities in New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and pretty much every single state. We haven't seen any of that here. Uh, as yet. The, the other big thing that concerns us is there we haven't um, seen, we, we've been frustrated here that insofar as there has been private investment in Massachusetts, it's an, almost entirely gone to Boston. Like Vineyard Wind has its project office here, but Vineyard Wind is a joint venture of, of two companies who both have offices in Boston. And uh, the likes of Orsted and Equinor and all the other developers and some of the major OEMs, um, General Electric, of course, uh, but uh, Siemens, Camisa, and, and all the others um, have set up shop in, in, in Boston, and, and we haven't seen that level of private investment here. And that's not, frankly, an outcome that anybody was planning on when we started in on on uh, our offshore wind work several years ago, as much as the offshore wind was about uh, and has always been about dealing with climate change, it is has been for us primarily an economic development uh, initiative. And so, um, and, and seen in that light, it's been uh, it's been it's been a little frustrating that we've that we've we're only seeing private investment uh, in, in Boston. So you know we've we've made our that point really clear to the Baker administration and to the utilities that the difference in procurement here fundamentally vis-a-vis um, -vis the other states on these coasts is that um, the procurement process here is controlled uh, almost exclusively by the utilities. And, um, and, I, and so it, that process doesn't, hasn't yielded to my mind, uh, optimum uh, public interest outcomes. Interesting. So to sum up, it's sort of, I hear two things from you. One is um, 
sort of an optimism. A lot of money is going to be flowing into New Bedford. A lot of a lot of positive developments there, but also sort of some concern about you might be missing out on the true potential. Am I summing up that up accurately? The, the best case, so I'll, 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 I think that that's accurate as far as it goes. I would say it this way: there are there are two polarities, right? The the worst case scenario is one in which um, there is business here um, brought by the offshore wind industry. In other words, they use our docks, uh, but they set up windmills in places in all the wrong places uh, up and down the eastern seaboard and crowd out the fishing industry, which would hurt New Bedford um, more than any other place. That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is windmills are put in appropriate places and the offshore wind industry so that the fishing industry can continue to thrive here. Uh, and the, the, there is considerable private investment from the offshore wind industry here. In other words, they set up not just you know, front offices, but also um, in the, much of the supply chain here. So we'll probably end up somewhere between those two poles. And the closer we are to um, the latter one, the better. That's a long way of saying yes to your question. I hear you. Um, let's move to a couple other topics briefly, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, one is, we talked about this before. Um, you're a mayor who has been concerned about the trend of local news coverage, particularly in New Bedford, but it sort of sounds like you're, like a lot of people, you're worried about it across the state, across the country, really. Um, Talk a little bit about that, because there, you and I got a chance to talk recently when uh, this this group is trying to launch a, a news website in New Bedford, uh, New Bedford Light, and uh, you're welcoming more coverage of what's going on in your community. Um, why is that? Why a lot of politicians could care less if anyone's writing about what they're up to. Why, why are you so interested in it? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I get the inclination of a lot of uh, elected officials not to um, not, not to invite uh, scrutiny, but and you know, the, I will I, I would be less than honest with you if I said that less scrutiny as a result of the diminution of local media coverage is 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 more comfortable than the opposite, right? It's you don't have to explain yourself all the time, but the reality is that no city can function properly um, in the absence of a trusted and functioning media source. And that media, those media sources that are trusted and functioning ordinarily are, are newspapers, um, um, whether they are digital or print or some combination of the two. That's, that's what people turn to when they can, when they want to know the, the, the facts. And so um, I have been deeply concerned that our, Venerable um, City Paper, which was, uh, which was founded in 1850, the New Bedford Standard Times, is um, has uh, has not been able to to cover New Bedford and Greater New Bedford in the way that will allow for sustainable accountability of public officials, for one thing. But even beyond that, um, would enable the city to um, you know to act collectively on the big challenges and. Public um, accountability is, is really important. And it's often cited as the primary purpose of the fourth estate. And it's true as far as it goes, but I think one thing that's overlooked um, is something that I've grown to appreciate more and more as mayor is that 
um, trusted news sources uh, are responsible for telling um, the, the narrative of the place. Um, we need, in order for people to come together and tackle uh, what's in front of them collectively, they need to have a sense of identity that, that can only be facilitated, to my mind, by having somebody that is a, uh, some entity that is a trusted arbiter of, of the truth. And um, uh, many cities around the country are losing that. And so I, I think, um, so we, we, it may, it may not be in my enlightened uh, self-interested, you know, to, to invite more scrutiny, but we would, we, we do invite it. We, we want, uh, we invite it from folks that are going to take the place seriously and, uh, and not, you know, folks who are you know, sniping from, from afar, but, but folks who, you know, who care about the place, who live it and who are, who just simply want to tell, um, tell the truth. Now you've been sort of active in, in promoting this and supporting the notion of greater news coverage. Should public officials in Massachusetts, the legislature, sh should there be more public involvement, do you feel, or is it- I mean, like maybe public funding, or do you mean just more people singing from that same sheet of music? I'm not sure what the answer is. I, 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 I'm an old newspaper guy. I'm, I'm sort of resist the idea of public funding, but there, there's a commission looking at this now at the state level. Um, do you think something needs to be done or, or, or do you feel like this will, the marketplace will work itself out? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a good answer. I'm not sure anybody does. I'm not sure. So, you know, you could say, you could say at some level, you could just say, well, you know, there's coverage, there's, there's, it's a very competitive market for, for news out there, maybe more competitive than ever before because of the way that people use the internet. Um, but um, there's something that's lost and the something that's lost is what I just described, which is sort of this, you know, um, understanding of, of place that, traditional news sources were able to, um, to convey. And um, so some cities have uh, embraced sort of the noblesse of liege model, right? So if you have a high net worth person who, you know, can um, run a news enterprise at either a modest profit or even no profit um, and just sort of, you know, keep ones to, and, and, and remain at, at arm's length, um, you know, good news can be generated uh, that way. Um, there aren't many places that have folks that are willing to do that. There are examples, um, you know, with the Globe and the Washington Post and a few other newspapers around, uh, around the United States. But in most places, it's a nonprofit model um, that is really the only option. And, you know, it's a it's a model that doesn't that isn't constrained by any expectations of of, of a return on investment by uh, the folks who own the enterprise. So, to my mind, that can uh, that's that's probably the most even-handed way to do it. You, it still raises the question: Well, how do you pay everybody? Right? How do you how do you pay the reporters and uh, the editors who are generating you know the, the content and so, you know, that's, that, that's where business communities have to step in and, and support. I mean, it's obviously something that you guys have experienced at Commonwealth. 
Um, and, um, and that's hard and not every place can pull that off. But I think that's what we're, that's, that's, that's what the folks at the New Bedford Light are trying to do. And they're serious folks. They're very experienced uh, journalists and uh, they're giving it the college try and we're hopeful that, uh, that they're going to be able to do it. In answer to your, your question, Bruce, I'd say, I, you know, the, the, the public funding, it's really hard to come up with a public funding mechanism that's consistent with the First Amendment and is otherwise it can be implemented in, a, in an even-handed way. Um, you know, we've thought here about, you know, we're tossing out around ideas here that would, that are analogous to like the Community Preservation Act where you impose like sort of a fee on, um, on people's tax, um, property tax um, assessments. And that would go to some, you know, to, for local journalism in some way, but then you end up with, you know, uh, procurement constraints and like who starts, who, you have some money, like who's entitled to it and like how do you, who's, who makes those decisions and it just becomes, becomes very difficult to do in a credible, to, to pull off in a credible way. So it really does have to come sort of organically from, from the community and more specifically from the business community, which has, the, you know, in most, many places has the resources to, you know, to help out considerably. That's very interesting. Well, I, I'm always fascinated listening to you talk about this issue because I don't hear have those conversations with too many other people in public life. Yeah, you know, I think what it means, Bruce, is that I'm still nine years into this job of political novice. <laughs> I, I haven't lost my innocence yet. Well, Mayor, I, I think we're out of time, but I wanted to thank you for joining us today and appreciate it. We're going to have to have you back because there's a lot more to talk about, especially as this industry starts taking off. It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens in New Bedford. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me.